Hi, Jerry. Good morning. How are you? Good, good morning, guys. What? Uh, how was your holiday? Did you have a little time off? Uh, I did. You know, like everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, like many other people, you know, took it took it easy for the last couple of weeks. I know, you know, for us in, in the baseball industry, pretty common thing to once we get past the winter meetings, it, you get into a little bit of a like a holiday break, so to speak, and the activity slows down for a bit. And then, you know, this is about the time where it starts to pick up again. Favorite ways for Jerry DePoto to unplug? Uh, laying on the beach, doing virtually nothing, <laughs> letting the sun, you know, beat up my skin and shorten the rest of my life. But it, it, it all works for me. Are you a reader in that spot? I mean, will you read or are you just flat out doing nothing, staring at the water? No, I do. I read, I, you know, just put on some, some headphones, listen to some music or an audio book and, and roughly try to do as little as possible. All right. Hold on, though. <laughs> Here's my this is the real question. And I, I'm unfortunately, I think I know the answer to this. You go on vacation. Let's say you go to beautiful tropical location, Hawaii, whatever. You stay in a nice hotel. You got a great beach, et cetera. You're going to spend most of the day outside on the on the chair. Are you finding a way to get a workout in at some point every day? Every day, yeah. And every day. My wife every joins day. me. <laughs> so yep. that's, a, that's that's part of the the routine. Is you know, get up, go to the gym, and then and then head out to the beach and, and read a book. Salk, so, you know what I should have been, right? I mean, a baseball, I baseball been, GM. <laughs> I should have been a lefty reliever in a bullpen yeah. for fifteen years. I mean, I think that's what I was built to do. Yeah, and because that's exactly exactly everything that he has just said from his style and his vacations, exactly what this lefty likes to do. Hey, so now that things are heating up again, what do we make of the trade market? Do we think that that will start to heat up a little bit around baseball? You know, I, I, that's maybe the most, uh, I guess, perplexing part of this offseason to me is how slow the trade market has generally been. And you know, this is typically a time when, when you'll see that open up. And uh, typically you'll see a, a rush of trades in November, you know, early December as you head into the, the winter meetings. And, you know, and then it'll pick back up after the, the free agent market has, has I, I guess, run its course. And, and right now you could look at the top 50 ish free agents and the the majority, I think almost all of them are off the board. So, you know, this is when, you know, the, the remainder of the free agent market typically opens up and then trades start to happen again. But, you know, while the, the remainder of the free agent market is still, you know, running steady and, and we're involved there, they really haven't had a whole lot of activity on the trade front, and that's a little surprising. Yeah, as Mike and I have tried to banter about why, it's what we attempt to do on, on a radio program and, and have a curiosity of, of trying to figure out why some of these circumstances uh, go the way they do, whether on the field or off the field, Jerry. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, what, what are some of the factors involved is it the massive amount of information? Is it, you know, teams have, have gotten smarter and there's so many more resources are allocated throughout their organizations to know their players and study their players? Is it valuing younger players a little bit more across the league? If you were to try to attack that, why maybe the market isn't moving as fast? What are some of your reasons? Uh, I think there are a variety of reasons, you know, not the least of which is that right now you have a number of teams who have, you know, recently, like us, who've recently gone through a rebuild and, and, you know, they are, I guess they are now moving north and they're adding players rather than, you know, looking to, to gather future uh, value. And, 
And there are a lot of teams, you know, to borrow a phrase from, you know, the, the NFL in years gone by, it, it, there's more parity in baseball right now than there's been in quite some time, especially in the middle of the pack. You know, you still have, you know, the teams that have historically dominated off-season markets like the New York clubs, the LAs, et cetera. But right now you have a group in the middle and, and they are, you know, they're very competitive clubs and, and they're having very active off seasons. And, and as a result, I don't think you're seeing as many players, you know, switch teams outside of free agency just yet. And, and I don't know if that's going to remain the case, but you know, it's a, it, it's certainly different. It's a little bit different than it has been in years past. Jerry, you know, one one thing we've talked a little bit about is the DH spot, you know, more philosophically speaking, what is your philosophy on that position and how to maximize the use of the designated hitter spot? You know, if you have a player like, let's say, Nelly Cruz, you know, during the years where Nelly was here and you have a dynamic offensive player who is capable versus both right and left hand pitching and can play every day then having a full-time DH makes a lot of sense. You know, and we have in, in our history as an organization had dynamic players in that role, particularly Edgar and Nelly. But it's, it's, it's more and more uncommon. And, you know, like many teams, we tend to prefer to cycle, you know, the DH at bats through your everyday players and then try to create, you know, handedness or matchup advantages when it's possible. So you know, if, uh, if we do happen upon, you know, a, an everyday player that can handle that role, then great, but more likely would prefer to take, let's call it 650 or so plate appearances that would go to a designated hitter and divvy that up among Teoscar Hernandez, one of our young left-handed hitters that we've talked about. One of the advantages of, of acquiring Cooper Hummel in the, the Kyle Lewis trade is, is the potential for having three catchers on our roster, which would then allow us to run, you know, one of our catchers into a DH day in, in an advantageous way. So that's the way we're looking at DH. You know, I say that, and if if over the next few weeks we're able to tap into a player we think changes our offense by by playing DH regularly, then that's something we'll consider as well. Uh, Jerry DePoto here with us after wearing down ellipticals uh, at Tropical Resorts and beating up his own skin, as I like to do in the sunshine as well. We are now into January, right? We're looking at January 5th, and all of a sudden, boy, February comes here in a hurry, and pitchers and catchers start reporting. How does the schedule shift now that January has arrived and, and some of those winter holidays are in the past? You know, I know now is when the players are actually starting to ramp it up. And I think the, you know, the pitchers have probably now started to throw their first, you know, bullpens as opposed to long tossing or, or flat ground work. The, the everyday guys are getting in there and starting their hitting routines in earnest. And especially the guys that are likely to play in the WBC or have already committed to it. Those guys have to be prepared because come Valentine's Day, they need to be in, in go mode because the, the process begins a little earlier for them. When you uh, when you when you think about this group, uh, who have you heard from? I mean, are there, are there guys that you've gotten good reports on or seen video on or anything like that? Anybody that we should be excited about what they've done so far this offseason? Yeah, we typically have a hard-working group, and the, the, I guess the most positive 
feedback that we've gotten this offseason, and it's almost always about players on the, the poles of your, your roster, your, your younger players or your older players. We don't have very many in the, the latter group. <laughs> you know, we don't have very many older players. And, and, you know, what we do have is a fair number of young guys that we're hoping can progress. And we've gotten great feedback on Taylor Trammell and his hitting programs through the offseason. He spent a lot of time working. You know, it, it, I don't want to say revamping his swing, but assessing the things that he can do to, to improve. And it's been a very positive offseason for him. We've gotten fantastic feedback on Jared Kelnick, who's been working with a, a hitting group down in Southern California this winter. And it's it's gone very well for him. Again, you know, positive feedback. And just in contact, we've we've had the opportunity. Justin and I sat down, had dinner with J.P. Crawford. I've had a couple of phone conversations with a number of players, you know, just catching up on what their offseason is like. Sometimes just to check in on, on family and, and what's happening in their lives. But, you know, it, it equally as important to, to make sure that they are ready as we get down to Arizona, get ready to kick it off. You know, the last couple of years, we've been anxiously waiting the arrival of Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby, Gilbert a few years ago as well, uh, Brash. Who's next? Who's the next big young player that we should be excited about reaching the major leagues? You know, I, the, the guy coming into spring training that I think is going to light people up is Bryce Miller. Uh, and it, he had a terrific year at multiple levels of our minor league system last year. So we drafted him a couple of years ago out of Texas A&M. We thought going into his draft year, he would be, you know, a first round draft had a great start to his season and then faded a little bit. And, you know, as a result, we were fortunate enough to get him in the middle rounds. And he went out last year and dominated at multiple levels, was among the top 10 in minor league baseball and strikeouts. He throws, he'll regularly exceed 100 miles an hour with his fastball, has a dominant slider, is that kind of lean, wiry, strong, physical pitcher that, that catches your attention. Uh, when when you're in this kind of camp setting. And much like Matt Brash a year ago or George Kirby the year before that, I think this year Bryce is the guy that's going to catch a lot of attention in spring training because it's just physical stuff that shows up on day one. How's our guy Julio doing? He's doing great. You know, he'll be in New York for the, the Writers Association Dinner later this month and, and claim one of the many awards that, that were bestowed <laughs> upon him this offseason. And uh, his, he's living his best life. You know, I, I had a chance after the, the final of those awards, which was the, the Rookie of the Year, uh, it, uh, I, I sent him a text and immediately faced Tommy back, and we had a nice conversation. And uh, he's he has had a phenomenal year. You know, if I think back to the cool things that happened to me when I was 21, it doesn't even it doesn't even <laughs> dent the surface of what happened to Julio as a 21 year old. And and I, I think from his personal life to how his professional life is going and then the way that, that things have evolved for him and his family. And it's just been such a wonderful year for, for him across the board. And, you know, I know now that he is a, a freshly minted 22 year old coming to spring training and, and getting ready. He too will be prepping to go play in the WBC. Um, it'll be a, another really fun year to watch these players grow and, and it's going to be a fun year to see what Julio does in in terms of stepping into more of a leadership role. And it sounds crazy to say that for for a young player who just turned 22, but as you guys know from having spent time around him, that's part of his 
cachet. He has that in his bag of tricks, and, and I'm curious to see how that evolves as we move forward. I may be wrong on the timeline here, Jerry, but I don't think I am. I think it was about this time last year that Julio had made a commitment to his speed that he went to work you know, with the trainer down there and, and a guy that trains a, a lot of athletes and, and wanted to make sure he was fast enough to play center field because he wanted to be your opening day center fielder, which is exactly what he was. So if it was a, a, a high function on speed last offseason, what is it in his game, in his body, in his size, strength? Is there anything there that he's focusing on coming into this 2023 season? I don't think it's anything physical. I, I think it's more consistent routines. And you know, so much of 2022 for, for Julio was about experiencing firsts and establishing himself as a major league player, you know, and, and going through the initial struggles that then the, the, the phenomenal success that followed it. I think this year for Julio is, and what his offseason has been about has been building those, those repetitive, those routines that, that really – separate the elite players uh, and and I know that's important to him and those are lessons that he's learned from watching other great players around the league it's their lessons that he learned from nestling up next to Carlos Santana who has great routines and you know I know in, in his offseason Julio works out with a group of hitters and, and they are an elite group of hitters that that spend a lot of time together and I'm certain that he's coming up with you know a lot of things to add to his set of routines that that will make a difference long term hey I, I know this isn't necessarily your spring training roster but you know you look at it from the outside today on january 5th and you do have six quality starters uh, in this rotation and that's before you get to matt brash if he's going to end up uh in that mix as well are you comfortable going into the spring with six guys in your rotation yeah and you know it's part of the this offseason was we have been open to dealing from a, a space that was a little deeper than it has been in recent years. We also don't want to be, uh, I guess, ignorant to the fact that the things change, you know, injuries happen. And we do feel like it's not just, you know, the six obvious members of our starting rotation. And, and you know, frankly, having had a conversation with Matt Brash, Matt, Matt is going to come to spring training as a reliever <laughs> and, and uh, not stretch out as a starter. And that is a function, a conversation that we had regarding WBC. You know, we didn't want him to crank up as a starting pitcher uh, and then go pitch as a reliever for WBC and then come back as a starter. We've talked about the, the bouncing around. He is committed to play for Team Canada in the WBC, and we're going we're gonna to do that as a reliever and keep that as a steady thing. So we have our six, and then we have guys like Bryce Miller, like Emerson Hancock and Taylor Dollard. We have signed a handful of, of veteran players who are coming to camp on non-roster invites, some familiar like a Tommy Malone and a Nick Margavichis who's still in our system and, and some who will, will come in for the first time that we picked up on waivers, a guy like Easton McGee. And, you know, we do feel like you're going to need somewhere between nine and 12 starters over the course of the year. That's what history tells you. And, and we'll, we'll be prepared for that and, and see where it takes us. Hey, Jerry, can you help me uh, understand here one of my last questions for you? And as always, we so appreciate this huge chunk of time uh, that you give to us and our audience every single week. It's uh, it's a gift for us, and, and I like to try to learn. And I know 
the world of the NFL and injuries and IR and all the in physicals and all that stuff fairly well. And I was telling Salk a story about the combine and all the X-rays and MRIs and everything that I had to get. Uh, obviously, the the Correa news has been big baseball news as far as these physicals and and how does all of this work? Like at that level with a contract like that and, and physicals and determining, you know, what's good, what doesn't go. Can you just can you add some insight and some background on on, on what that process looks like in Major League Baseball? Sure. You know, I'll, uh, you know, we'll use Robbie Ray as an example. Uh, you know, a year ago we signed Robbie as a as a free agent. And, and when you negotiate through the offseason, you know, obviously the first thing is establishing that there's interest between the two parties and Robbie was interested in, in us. We were interested in Robbie. We got together for a few informational, uh, I guess, back and forths first with our pitching group and, and with our front office group um, with Robbie and his wife, Taylor. And, and once we had reached agreement on terms of contract, you know, length and dollars, now you've got to go through a series of, of, medical as let's call it the it's about a day and a half of appointments where you're going to go bounce around from you know to, from doing blood work to orthopedic exams and just make sure that that based on the length of of commitment that the medical people feel good about where this player's current health is and and you know preparedness to play and that's really all there is to it it, it does take you know about a day and a half to get through you know, the, 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 the run, and then it takes a couple of days to get all the results back. And, you know, when you are investing years in a player, you tend to do a, a lot of imaging and make sure that, that you have, you know, as much understanding of what's happening with that player physically as you can have. And, and every player acquiesces and, and, and goes through those tests. And sometimes they come back with a little surprise, but most often you find out what you were able to review in simple medical records that, that that still remains consistent. Uh, as, as we get ready for this year, I know we've asked you a few times, Jerry, about the shift and changes there and, and how it affects your decision-making. I, I was hoping to just broaden that out for a moment. I was looking at the numbers last year. I know batting average isn't the hottest stat anymore, but it was the lowest it had been, I believe since 1972. It is the, you know, in all of baseball. Yeah. The baseball batting, not the Mariners, just baseball's batting average across the league. I think it was the lowest since 1972. uh, And this has been a a continuing trend over the last decade plus with the changes in the shift, et cetera. What do you think is a reason? I think it was 243 this year. What's a reasonable rise in batting average that we could expect across the league? It wouldn't surprise me if it jumps back to what I would consider to be historic norms, you know, and that, that, that 255, 260 range. It's, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a better barometer of what baseball should be like. Now, I say that, and in addition to the shifting, which is, you know, a large factor in why batting average has been held down, pitching is as, uh, and I, I'll, I'll use, current terminology it's about as filthy as it's ever been <laughs> when you have when you have 100 mile an hour fastballs with movement or ride and you have breaking balls you've got guys that throw 100 and they sit on a breaking ball and throw it pitch after pitch because that's also you know uh, an excellent it's just a harder time to hit because of the physical stuff that's coming out of pitchers hands and you know, in, in years gone by, if we go back to, you know, the, the 80s and, and, you know, when we're watching baseball as, as you know, kids, teenagers, whatever, 
Uh, the starting pitcher who's pitching seven, eight, nine innings, and when you look up at the end of the year, that guy's got 283 innings. And, you know, not all of those 283 innings featured his best stuff. And, you know, now we're in an era where many of the innings that a pitcher throws do feature his best stuff. And, you know, and that means that when those relievers are coming in and, and they are doubling down with their best stuff, that it's just a tougher time to hit than it's ever been. And I think that's why approach matters so much. The guys that manage the strike zone and find their way on base, despite what the, the batting average looks like, that's how offense works right now. They're going to have, have to do something. They're going to have to move the mound back or lower the mound or something. I mean, I just, every time I, and you're right about everything you just said, like I would love to see batting average jump back into the 250s, 260s, but how do you hit these guys? They're throwing 100 with ridiculous sliders, every one of them. Everything you just said, at some point, do you think baseball would need to act and, and, and help the hitters a little bit? I, I guess it would, I would say that that's, part of what's happening with yeah. trying to to eradicate the shift and, and make an adjustment here uh, the the advantage to the pitcher you know i say this selfishly it hasn't happened often in the last 30 years so you know hey ride the wave while it's there guys <laughs> and but i you know i do think that that as far as offense goes run scoring hasn't changed a great deal in in recent years so it's you know it's batting average and it's more the action right. on the field that that is the concern as opposed to run scoring because you know if if you're still scoring your four and a half runs a game and that's what generally what good teams are going to do and and you have you know the, the elite teams in the league that are that are touching five runs a game i don't know that it matters to to the to the and score if you hit or you do it in various different ways. It could be a walk and a homer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know if this era of fan is going to adapt to that or if, if on a given year we go out and have a 260 or 265 league batting average, if it's just going to be a culture shock to today's <laughs> fan. Like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> but, uh, They're going to think all their pitchers are terrible. Trying to yeah, adjust. No. Hey, Jerry, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I mean, after a couple of weeks of, of not doing this, obviously we had a lot to get through and a lot to talk about. We just really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, obviously we'll do it again next week. Looking forward, what are we, six, seven weeks away from spring training? I mean, we are not far away and uh, I need that. I need to be able to know that spring training is on the way because that uh, that warm weather is uh, awfully important when you're hanging around this time of year. So thank you. We'll talk next week. All right, guys. Look forward to it.